Hello and welcome to Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer, a nurse practitioner and serve as the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we're honored to have Jeff Griffin here to talk to us a little bit about medical staff leadership and some of the structures we have around it. We are going to be doing a, a series of episodes on, on medical staff leadership, uh, with this first one really focusing on the MEC, the Medical Executive Committee. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Can you tell the audience just a, a, a little bit about yourself, um, who you work for, and, and what sort of work you do for our medical staff? Absolutely. So I'm a lawyer based in Memphis, Tennessee, with the law firm of Harris Shelton Hanover Walsh. And that law firm um, has a relationship with Baptists that's over 50 years old, um, you know, almost uh, growing up alongside one another, uh, our firm and Baptists as an organization. I primarily practice uh, in the area of healthcare, both in litigation and then also handling uh, medical staff issues, both on the you know compliance side with that, as well as advising on privileging actions, peer review, and that type of thing. Um, I've been in practice since 2000, so this makes my 21st year of practice. Um, and you know, as we said before the call, you know, I need to make sure that I before we get started today that that I notify everybody that you know the opinions that are going to be expressed in this today are my opinions. They're not the opinions of the firm, and they're not the opinions of Baptists, and certainly. Uh, if there is a situation that comes up with anyone listening to this personally, you know, every situation is fact dependent. And so consult a lawyer before you take any action. But you do swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> so help me God. <laughs> All right. Just wanted to make sure. So, you know, today's focus is really going to be on MEC. Um, you know, and, and so when I was coming through medical school and, and residency and fellowship, we did not get a lot of exposure to MEC. It was certainly not a topic in med, med school that any of us would ever learned. I really didn't become familiar with the MEC until um, I was the chief medical information officer at West Tennessee Healthcare, where I was, you know, put on the committee. And you kind of figured it out, um, you know, by by trial and error and, and going to the meetings. Um, but it would be we're doing these uh, episodes just so that the other medical staff out there don't really have to uh, to learn that way. And so they can get a little bit broader understanding of, of what medical staff leadership looks like. Um, so what can you tell the audience um, is the MEC? What, what's its history? What is its purpose? So I, I think really the purpose of the MEC actually is to help assist with the requirements that are placed on hospitals, both through CMS and Joint Commission, that they have a self-governing medical staff. And so, and, th and this has been a requirement for some time. Um, for those who are listening, I guess Joint Commission does the accreditation in the place of CMS um, for joint accredited hospitals such as Baptist. And you can actually look at those regulations and they discuss um, not only what an MEC is, but what role the medical staff has in terms of credentialing and deciding who practices there and how the medical staff is going to be governed. And so the MedExec Committee um, is made up in our system of elected officers and ex officio officers that consider all kinds of issues, but are ultimately 
uh, responsible on behalf of the medical staff for ensuring the quality of care and the quality of the physicians that practice at Baptist. So um, we have a chair of the, uh, the medical executive committee, a vice chair, um, and then the presidents of the various medical staff leadership councils um, here in the metro area are also members of that med exec committee. It's a little different out in our regional facilities because um, they do not have the unified staff that we have here in uh, in the metro area, but that's that's generally its composition. Thank you, Jeff, for defining the purpose and and the history behind MEC. Can you talk more in detail about what are the major functions of the medical staff leadership? Absolutely. So the medical executive committee is responsible for a number of things. And first, one thing they're responsible for is credentialing, which is basically verifying that our providers um, are appropriately credentialed and have the training and experience necessary to hold the privileges that they're going to exercise within the hospital. Now, for several medical executive committees, that responsibility is, is delegated to a subcommittee. Uh, here in Memphis, that's delegated to the Credentials Committee. And so the Credentials Committee um, is, uh, actually acts on behalf of the Med Exec Committee to really review the details of requests for privileges that are made by various providers. And then they make a recommendation to either approve, uh, deny, or limit the privileges requested by the practitioner to the Med Exec Committee. But that responsibility rests with the Med Exec Committee. Um, the MEG exec committee is also responsible for making sure that uh, various bylaws and rules and regulations that govern the medical staff are in place as required by both the regulatory authority and just frankly as required to, to govern the day-to-day -day operations of the hospital. And so um, they're in charge of that. And again, for larger medical staff like the one we have here in Memphis, that's a delegated responsibility to a bylaws committee and the bylaws committee often comes up with the uh, the different bylaw proposals, the rule and reg proposals, drafts the language for those, and makes recommendations to the MEC for approval of those. But again, um, that is ultimately the responsibility of the Med Exec Committee to do that. And then finally, most recently, and one of the things that I'm the most proud of that we've been able to accomplish um, in the last few years as a medical staff, uh, is we have a wellness committee now. And that wellness committee looks at issues impacting physicians relative uh, to burnout, to um, stress, to just the daily annoyances of having to come in the hospital and, and, and do your job, and looks at ways to limit and minimize those and to assist physicians in being the best that they can be both physically and emotionally while they're here at the hospital. And that's also a responsibility of the MEC is to make sure that not only we're letting uh, physicians come in and practice at the hospital that are competent to do so, but that we're trying to provide them with an environment where they can succeed. And so um, I'm, I'm most proud of that because I think the medical staff is, has really championed that um, and is doing a fantastic thing for its own with that committee. Yeah, no, that's obviously very important. Um, so you mentioned uh, credentialing, you mentioned bylaws, and you mentioned wellness. Uh, what about peer review? Does that also fall under the purview of MEC? It does, and it kind of happens a few different ways. You know, here um, locally in the Memphis market, our hospitals, each campus has its own peer review committee. So um, Collierville, Memphis, uh, DeSoto, Crittenden, and Women's all have their own peer review committee tipped in. 
Um, that is a little atypical because, again, with our regional hospitals, uh, there's smaller staff, and so there's not, you know, enough physicians to fill all these subcommittees. So there, it's 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 done differently, and there's one peer review committee for the hospital that rolls straight up to the MEC, and not several that come up that way. Um, there's also a metro peer review committee here in the metro area, and uh, it's it's not something that meets regularly, but from time to time, um, there's a need to get some additional expertise um, that may not exist on a staff at a certain campus. And so it rolls up to our Metro Peer Review Committee, which is made up of the presidents and the vice presidents of each of the peer review committees at these uh, campuses here locally. That's very helpful. So, Jeff, you talked about the composition of the MEC. How often does um, the members, do they roll over? So that sort of depends on, it, it's because it's made up of the presidents and vice presidents here, and I'm speaking here locally about the Metro MEC currently, but because it's made up of the presidents and the vice presidents of each campus, MSLC, it depends on what their rules and regs say with respect to how often those roles rotate. For a lot of our campuses, it's every two years. And then certainly the leadership uh, MEC chair rotates every year. We instituted something a couple years ago uh, where there's an election of a vice chair who will become the chair. And part of doing that is, is that we wanted to have a more of a seamless transition. Sometimes there's an ongoing uh, issue that, that happens. And if you haven't been there for the lead up of that, to jump right in in the middle of that can be difficult. So now the vice chair knows they're going to be the chair the next year, and that gives them the opportunity uh, to sort of have their antenna up on issues that are going to, they're going to be faced with when they take office in January. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so a little bit different maybe in, in the metro market than in, in, in other hospitals, uh, especially the, the metro MEC, since it's made up of the leadership from the individual MSLCs, um, but other hospitals might have, you know, the chairs of their major departments make up members of the MEC and, and other elected members. Um, you know, one of the questions I've all, I had initially when I was kind of getting into this uh, role was, you know, what is the difference between what the MEC is charged with doing versus maybe what um, more hospital administration and the CMO is charged with doing. Who is the MEC, I guess, responsible to uh, versus hospital administration? And how does that all relate to hospital boards as well? So everyone is responsible to the board, right? And so even the medical staff, um, largely, you know, they're defined as being self-governing, but the medical staff, because they have the expertise with which to evaluate um, the credentials and the qualifications of physicians have to serve in that role to help the board to determine who ultimately will be granted privileges to practice at the hospital. But I think that's an important distinction that maybe people don't realize that it, it's actually the board, the governing body, who determines who's going to practice and who's not. And it's done on the recommendation of the Medical Executive Committee, but the board holds that ultimate responsibility. And also, holds the ultimate responsibility as to what specialties are going to uh, practice in the hospital. Um, if there's exclusive contracting arrangements, those are approved by the board. Um, so uh, everything, responsibility for the operations of the hospital ultimately always falls to the board. 
but this issue with physicians and credentialing and governance of physicians and other providers um, is delegated to the medical executive committee with ultimate responsibility remaining with the board. And then how does the, I guess, hospital administration mesh with uh, the med exec committee and the CMO and their responsibilities? Uh, do they align? Do they conflict in any ways? No, I wouldn't say they conflict. And, and honestly, um, it, it's more of a partnership. Well, I'll give you an example. For, for instance, let's say you've got a peer review committee at a, at a campus who has decided that they need some assistance with a review that they're doing. Um, they've got a practitioner who has had some adverse outcomes that need to be reviewed and they need assistance with getting a review done on that. You know, as physicians, all of our leaders are volunteers, right? I mean, they're not, um, they're not, they're not employed as members of this medical executive committee. They all have independent practices that are extremely busy and give their time in order to serve the medical staff in this capacity. So because of that, there's no administrative support for them. So it's often the CMOs and the CMO staff that are offering the support to the various committees in the hospital, including the med exec committee, um, as well as, you know, peer review committees to help accomplish the work that they need to accomplish, to help them get external reviewers on cases, to help them develop policies when policies need to be put in place, to advise them of things that are going on with the organization. You know, every medical executive committee on its agenda um, has a line item for an administrative update. And that, a lot of information is conveyed to the medical executive committee about different operational issues that are going on with the hospital. And the point in that is because that allows the members of the medical executive committee to report that down to either the MSLCs in the metro market or just to the individual physicians out in our regional facilities. So are there other topics that are line items in those meetings? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's pretty typical going back to something we covered earlier, you know, on a monthly basis, um, they will consider providers who have requested privileges at the hospital and make recommendations on whether or not to uh, approve or deny those applications for privileges. Um, there's, uh, there's reports relative to uh, pharmacy and therapeutics. I won't pretend to not, uh, say that I understand most of what gets reported in that report, but I do know I, that there is <laughs> a report on that. That's on me. I think I give that report. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 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 that's usually when my eyes glaze over because I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but that's okay. Um, one of the most important things that's done, um, and it's not every month, but it's quarterly, is there's a quality report. And during the quality report, you know, different um, metrics are looked at, you know, and, and, and that's all part of making sure that you know we're sharing knowledge between campuses if one campus is doing something that is really making a difference in outcomes that's that opportunity to discuss that to put that out there so the other campuses um can can do the same thing and that's that's the strength of being a healthcare system as opposed to being out there on your own it's this ability to share information to share information that will improve healthcare for everyone that's there in the hospital um we talked about bylaws earlier. That's not always an agenda item, but it frequently is if there's something that needs to be approved. And then here, and then this is unique again to the metro market, each campus has a campus report basically where they report about significant things that are going on on the different campuses um, here in the metro market. So those are, those are the typical line items on the agenda. 
then occasionally I'll hear updates on hospital finances as it would, you know, be relative, I guess, to the MEC. Um, you know, most of the doctors seem pretty interested in knowing, you know, the strength of the financial system of the hospital. I guess that would be relevant. Yes. No, absolutely it would. And that is covered. Um, and again, here we, we also always get a medical staff funds report. We're lucky enough um, here in the metro market to actually have established quite a while ago a fund through which uh, educational activities are often funded by the medical staff. And um, a number of different um, items are approved that really strengthen, I think, not only the quality of our physicians, but the quality of the care that the patients receive that come through the hospital. Yeah, I think that's important and, and something I wasn't aware of is some of those uh, activities. I don't know if you want to uh, expand on that because I, I know, you know, we fund partially the, the residency programs as well as some maybe some nursing awards. Anything else that, that goes th- out of that fund? Yeah, we've we've uh, in the past uh, grand rounds have been funded through that. And so various speakers have brought been brought in to talk about a number of different topics relative to I think everything from billing to, um, you know, quality care issues to recently backing up to the wellness committee. I know that there was a presentation that was done by the Greeley Corporation about, you know, really how to get a wellness committee off the ground, you know, what to do to get engagement on that. Um, I believe that fund's been used to send several of our leaders to different conferences. Um, We've brought, uh, people in to come in and talk about subjects like what we're talking about here today, medical staff governance, different ways to do peer review. So um, it's been used in a number of different unique ways, but um, there are restrictions on how that money can be used. And the restrictions are really for things that will provide education or that will boost the quality of the physicians and the care provided at the hospital. So Jeff, you mentioned subcommittees that roll up to the MEC, such as the Wellness Committee and the bylaws. Are there others? There are, and we've discussed some of them. The the Credentials Committee obviously would be one. The Wellness would be another. Uh, we have a PNT committee, which I believe is both what Metro and System. Jake, is that correct? Yes. Um, yeah. So each hospital, I think, has well, there is a Metro PNT, and then each hospital, I think, has an individual. P&T outside of the metro area. I'm not sure within the metro if, if there's an individual hospital P&T, but there is a system P&T uh, Baptist meeting that includes members from all 22 hospitals. And then, of course, I don't know that they would be necessarily, well, I guess they are. Um, I, I never thought of them but like that way, but, but here in the metro area, we also have the Med- Medical Staff Leadership Council, which I guess is technically a committee, and that is made up at uh, in each of the campuses of, um, you know, the the department chairs as well as the president and the vice president of the MSLCs. Um, and I know recently, um, I believe the MSLC at Memphis um, added their first APP to that MSLC, which is important because we actually have APPs that serve not only um, on our MSLC, but we've also got uh, APPs on our credentialing committee, which are invaluable because although there's some overlap in the credentialing and privileging of doctors and APPs, there's also some stuff that is not the same. And the physicians need assistance from the APPs and the experts in those areas to understand where those differences lie and how best 
to set not only criteria, but to approve people who meet that criteria to practice alongside our doctors and, and other providers in the hospital. So those, are, I, I believe there may even be an APP, and I don't quote me on this one. There might be one on the bylaws committee as well, but I'm not 100% sure That's about right. that one. Okay, okay, I was right. All right. Yeah. And, and and that's a really good point. And I know, Amanda, you spent a lot of time working on scope of practice. That sort of work and approvals would also roll up through the MEC for approval. Is that right? For that's APPs? right. Yes. Okay. So, so the delineation of privilege work that we have done in regards to advanced practice providers was presented to the credentialing committee that then makes recommendations to the MEC for approval. Okay. Yeah, so definitely learned a lot today. I know we are, we're kind of running uh, towards the end of our, our session, uh, but we do plan to have uh, at least two more to focus maybe in more detail on bylaws and credentialing as well as peer review. But Jeff, before we, we uh, turn this over, is there anything else that you'd like to share to the medical staff just on MEC in general and the structure and governance of the medical staff? You know, I think the only thing I would say is, is that, number one, um, all of us are so appreciative to the people that serve in those roles on those committees because it is time consuming and it is an invaluable service um, to the hospital. But two, I would encourage especially um, our newer and, and younger physicians to get involved. I mean, if you, if you don't want to get involved on the, the higher level, I understand, but start getting involved on the facility level and become the leaders of tomorrow because that's, that's the, the biggest concern I think any organization has, has is not do we have the current leaders in place, but do we have the next generation of leaders coming behind them? And so I would just encourage people, if they have any interest at all, get involved at your, at your facility. Well, thank you so much, and, and thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Right Care Baptist. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit. And we also have a, another podcast series called Connecting the Dots that you can also earn CME credit for. And thank you again.